How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 261 of X-Lapsed, where after a few days of dental misadventures, I'm feeling, well, as close to 100% as I get. So that's a good thing. Uh, What's more, we have more good news. We have a very interesting issue to cover today. This is the second part in one of our big, I guess, straw that stirs the drink sort of mini-series is here, which will bridge us into uh, whatever the next era of the post-Hox Pox X-Books will be. So let's hop on in. This is X-Men, The Trial of Magneto No. 2, had a November 2021 cover date. The story's called Welcome to Krakoa. Written by Leah Williams, with art by Lucas Wernick. Colors, Edgar Delgado. Letters, VCs, Clayton Cowles. Designs, Tom Muller, head of X's Hickman. Edits, Andrews Ballesteros, Amaro, Thomas, White, Sapolsky. Big crew of editors. Cover price, four bucks. This one went on sale September the 15th of 2021. Now, I don't want to linger too long on the cover, but I feel like it might be worth mentioning here. Uh, Here we see Magneto tearing apart Iron Man's armor. And I mean, hey, fair play, right? Until we get into the book and find out that Iron Man's armor is uh, non-ferrous. So, uh, hmm. Oh, well, maybe just a little bit of miscommunication there between uh, all the folks. I mean, we do have one, two, three, five editors here. So, I mean, who could say? Or maybe it's just a cool cover, because it is a cool cover. It kind of reminds me of... uh, And I might just have ACW on the brain, but it reminds me of the issue of Action Comics Weekly that has the cover with Black Canary burning her old costume, or her new costume, I suppose. And that actually does happen in the story, but, like, one of the main things about that new costume was the fact that it was fireproof. So, I don't know, maybe uh, something in the post-crisis changed that for her. I really couldn't say, but it is still a very cool-looking cover, so don't don't get it twisted there. But uh, let's get inside the book. Now we open with Magneto sitting in a very comfortable-looking bed. He gets up, citing that he knows Xavier is somewhere watching him. And indeed he is, but not exactly the way we might all be thinking. You see, Xavier and Hope Summers are trying to mentally scan his memories, and Magneto himself is still KO'd. He's still, you know, knocked out. So, we're like one or two pages in. Are you ready to be annoyed a little bit? (laughs) Um... We spend the better part of a couple of pages with, with Hope comparing what they're doing to Magneto to torture. And I think she's kind of angling at a waterboarding sort of comparison where they're basically forcing Magneto to confess when they're really not. Uh, I mean, they're basically doing what telepaths have been doing since day one. And as far as I know, Hope doesn't have any problem with that. I mean, she's even, like right now, she's hopping in to, you know, help out with the telepathy. So she's, you know, no stranger to this sort of thing. Um, This kind of strikes me as like that high school kid who heard words like fascism thrown around. And then rather than actually look up what the word means, they just use it to describe everyone they disagree with. But anyway, despite Hope's uh, ridiculousness here, they do continue on. 
She does, however, ask why the professor isn't using Emma or Jean for this. Now that facilitates a scene shift. Scott, Jean, and Wolverine are elsewhere on Krakoa waiting for the arrival of the first official visitors to the island. And they are the Avengers. Well, not the current, like, weirdo team of Avengers, because really, who wants to see, you know, the weird Ghost Rider and uh, whoever else is part of that team right now? These are the classics. Now, we've got Captain America, Iron Man, Wasp, and of course, we have Vision. Now, Gene and Vision embrace immediately, which feels a little bit forced. I mean, sure, Viz just lost someone special, but I'm not sure I've ever seen these two share panel space before. It feels a little bit... I don't know, we're gonna... And we're going to dive into more of those instances as we work our way through. But uh, anyway, Scott asks Cap if they want to take a tour of the island before they retrieve Wanda's remains, and Cap is all about it. Double-page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters include Hope, North Star, Prodigy, Prestige, Eyeboy, Polaris, Professor X, Cyclops, Emma Frost, Quicksilver, Scarlet Witch, and Magneto. Now we join the tour of Krakoa. And it's worth noting that the X-Men contingent have uh, brought in X-23, Polaris, and Sync, from the current elected team. Now, Lorna and Jean have a telepathic chat about how Hope is busy with Xavier, and so they won't be able to telepathically mask the hatchery from the Avengers. Now, the gist of this is that they don't want the Avengers to know about mutant resurrection, which I feel it's kind of like one of them loose-lipped secrets here and again when it comes to how much the other heroes actually know. I mean, didn't Wolverine kill a dude in that She-Hulk one-shot just so he could say that they could bring the guy back? And I could be mistaken, but I thought there was an allusion to the protocols in that Black Cat two-parter. Maybe I'm misremembering. Uh, The point here is that they don't want the Avengers to see. So, uh, you know, I guess it's a damn good thing that by the time they reach the hatchery... And I mean, before we go on, um, like, how about you just don't go to the hatchery? Like, are we supposed to believe that they walked the Avengers through, like, the entire island, including the blood-soaked Crucible, or the Boneyard's cadaver farm? I mean, how about you just don't go to the Gold Ball Emporium? I mean, Krakoa is a nation, and it's a government, and governments have, you know, secrets and classified information. It's like, hey, you're just not allowed to go in there. The end. Anyway, it's a good thing that by the time they get to the hatchery, they find Emma Frost and the Cuckoo's sunbathing. You see, Emma's gonna do the hoodoo to cover up the real goings-on of the place. Here, Tony goes all cartoon wolf upon seeing her in a bikini, which I might note is actually somehow less revealing than many of her actual costumes. Anyway, Emma and the Wasp hug, which, again, I don't think I've ever seen these two acting as chums, so that's a little bit weird there. And I mean, superficial hugs are a thing, for sure, but I don't know. Scene shift. To the House of M and the Cerebro Cradle, or one of the Cerebro Cradles. We've got X-Factor, consisting of Rachel, Northstar, and Dakin, Dakin, and they're, uh, they're trying to find clues. Rachel does her chrono-skimming gimmick to see who might have taken the helmet, and I'm not sure why they're so sure that a missing Cerebro helmet would be wrapped up in the murder, but uh, I'm not going to ask too many questions. Uh, Rachel deduces that Magneto took the helmet. Next up, an info page, sort of. Um, it's like chaos symbols and poetry, and it takes us right over to purgatory or limbo or the astral realm, wherever it was that we saw Wanda at the end of last issue, where she was, uh, where she was killed by that white-cloaked character. Here we see her kind of floating around, and her red cape now has like a bunch of white bird wings growing out of it. I don't know what that's supposed to symbolize, if anything at all. Maybe it's just supposed to be trippy, but it is what it is. 
We jump back to Hope, and Xavier is no longer with her. Lord only knows where he got off to, he's just not there. Um, Now, she wakes Magneto up, she forces him awake, and she tells him that he needs to make sure that the Avengers do not reach Wanda's body. Which is her way of saying uh, that perhaps she decided that the Five will go along with Magneto's plan to uh, put Wanda's old Cerebro back up through the Resurrection Protocols to try to bring her back to life. From here, we jump to the Boneyard. Captain America makes a bit of small talk with uh, North Star about Kyle. You remember they chatted for like a panel and a half during the Hellfire Gala. Here, Quicksilver pops in to comment on how chummy the mutants and Avengers seem right now, claiming that it's, you know, it's almost like there wasn't just a great big murder or anything. Now, Cap smooths things over as best he can, and Pietro ultimately apologizes. Then, Northstar zips over to pretend to give Quicksilver a hug with the implication that there's some sort of inside joke between the two. And again, I'm not sure I've ever seen these two in the same panel, so this feels a little bit forced. Um, I kind of feel like there's a lot of Leia Williams' headcanon dripping into this issue. It's a little weird, but uh, I mean, I guess we'll allow it. Anyway, it's here where Magneto attacks, and he's in his old red and purples, by the way, uh, which I don't think we've seen him wearing in ages. And it might be worth noting here that some of these panels look an awful lot like Magneto in the Silver Age, just like that that kind of irate look on his face, the very, very uh, scary faces that he used to make back in the Silver Age, which I may be just relating to our Essential X-Labs show, but it just feels very much like the Silver Age. Now, he ties Quicksilver up with some metal coils, and the rest of the heroes scramble. Cyclops asks the Avengers to give them some time to take Magneto down before they intervene. Iron Man's like, sure, you got ten minutes, and then we're coming in. Polaris asks... Ooh, that's a hard sentence to say. Polaris asks Scott to give her the first crack. Wow, a lot of S's. I'm not good at them this morning. Anyway, this only really gets us an awkward conversation wherein Lorna reveals that she's earned a PhD at some point. So, okay, cool. Uh, the art isn't totally clear here, but it looks kind of like Magneto's began pulling the boneyard apart. Like, it doesn't topple down or anything, but there are just pieces of it flying all over the place. Now, by now, the Avengers have assembled. They didn't wait the full ten minutes before getting involved. Wasp rushes in to punch Magneto in the chin, to which Magneto takes control of Captain America's shield and slams it into Tony's torso. He then hurls the vision into the dirt. Just then, Kyle wanders in through a gateway. And how exactly is he using a gateway? I mean, I get that he lives here, but maybe, maybe I'm missing something. I didn't think he'd be able to use a gateway by himself. Uh, maybe he's got a lock of uh, JP's hair in his messenger bag. I mean, who knows? Or maybe Krakoa is like, sure, he's he's good enough for us. Anyway, Magneto wraps Kyle up with some more metallic coils. I mean, there sure are a lot of these laying around right now. He demands the Avengers leave Krakoa or else. Northstar says the Avengers will leave. Gene then tries to settle JP's tea kettle, to which he's all, hey, you know what? I'd kill anybody and everybody on this island if anything would happen to Kyle. So, uh... Northstar is not effing around at this point. Magneto shouts that Kyle is a human, and it's foolish to do something to stand up for a human, to which Northstar argues that he's Krakoan. And I I don't know that that's exactly an apples-to-apples argument, but I won't question it. It's the heat of the moment. Anyway, from here we get a rather confusing page wherein Magneto admits to killing Wanda like five different ways. I'm not sure if he's telling the truth or not, but that's about to be rendered moot anyway, because... Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. It's uh, the Scarlet Witch. 
alive and kicking. And it's worth noting, uh, Mystique is hiding in the bushes, like you do, watching this all unfold. And she thinks that this is all mighty interesting. Now, I gotta remember, she's part of the Quiet Council, right? So she was present and participating when they took a vote on whether or not to bring Wanda back via the protocols. And of course, they voted against it. And yet, here Wanda is. Now, perhaps Raven now realizes that there are ways to get around a Quiet Council ruling when it comes to who will and won't be brought back. Huh. Anyway, we wrap up the issue with Wanda, who swoops down and plants a big ol' kiss on the Vision, which tells us that uh, if this is a Cerebro backup, it's a very old one indeed. And I tell you, this could be very interesting, as so much has happened to and by Wanda since the days where she and Vision were married. We got the whole Wiccan and Speed thing. Their births, their being declared as never having existed in the first place, their return. Uh, we have the mess that was Avengers Disassembled. We have the even bigger mess that was House of M and No More Mutants and M-Day. There's her demutantifying and derelating from Magneto. And now, there's her murder. Anyway, that, my friends, is where we leave it. Next episode is one of the ultimate good news, bad news situations. We are talking about the final final issue of X-Corp, to which, uh, you know, I've been smacking myself in the face, you know, yelling at myself in the mirror, just saying, we can do this. But fortunately, that's something we'll have to tackle another time. For now, let's talk a little bit of Wanda, huh? Well, a little bit anyway. Um, If you remember from the last time we talked about the Trial of Magneto, I was a bit hesitant to really go into any sort of depth as to what I thought about it, and I I still kind of am, because this is a series that... You know, it's keeping us guessing. That's a good thing. And uh, I really don't know what we're headed to here. And, I mean, that's pretty much as good as it gets. It's uh, what we want from a, you know, momentous, status quo-shifting sort of story. So that's that's a very good thing here. But I do have a few observations that I did want to bring up. Um, I do love the idea of using old backups. That's something that we've played with uh, in our own headcanons over the course of the past, you know, several hundred days at this point, where... If someone does pass, they could be brought back at any point. You know, we talked about uh, in a recent issue of X-Force where Beast was scared of dying because he was afraid he was going to come back as the happy and bouncing Beast rather than the bastard Beast, who he thinks is uh, needed. And of course, that's a discussion we could have and we probably will have again once we get back to X-Force. But the point is, I think it's really cool that that is an option. So... We've got Wanda here from an old backup. We know that Wanda and Pietro were able to trick Cerebro into taking backups for quite a while. And, I mean, there have been instances, and, and we'll be getting to them in uh, the Essential x program, where Wanda and Pietro are identified as mutants by villains, by sentinels. They just fooled a lot of things here. So my question is, why are we going with such an old backup? You know, if we're taking into consideration that Wanda was revealed as not being a mutant not too terribly long ago, relatively speaking, at least relative to her marriage to the Vision, why would we back up all the way? I mean, and this is an assumption, of course, because we did see her swoop in and just, uh, you know, plant a big kiss on Vision, which makes me think that we're going back to that Wanda, the Wanda who was in a committed relationship with the Vision, uh, probably a Wanda who still believes herself to be a mutant, who still believes herself to be the daughter of Magneto. But why? Is there a reason for this? Is this being done to place her at a point before before she faced any trauma? 
I mean, the Scarlet Witch is very much a broken character and has been for, well, a really long time now. So does this place her before all the trauma? As we were wrapping up the synopsis, I talked about things like her, her children being born and then her children being taken away as though they had never existed in the first place. Is this Wanda back up from before that? Like, was that the first domino that tipped? The, uh, the children uh, not being real? Is this placing her before any of the trauma happened to try to fix the character? If that's the case, I'm totally down for it. Uh, I think it's a really good idea, and it does open up a lot of interesting possibilities moving forward. Of course, me being the cynical guy I am, when I saw they, that they brought her back to this period in time, I assumed that it had something to do with whatever the hell a WandaVision is. I've never watched it. I have no interest in doing so. But I'm assuming if this sticks, it's only being done to coincide with uh, Vision and Wanda's relationship there, which I'm assuming they have since I've seen you know the ads for it. I, you'll all have to tell me if I'm totally off my nut here, though. Let's talk about the missing Cerebro helmet, which, as I was reading through it, I didn't really put two and two together. You know, it's like, well, this is missing and has something to do with the murder. I didn't see it. But if the plan all along was to have um, Hope and the Five go behind the Quiet Council's back to bring back Wanda, well then yeah, a missing Cerebro helmet may very well have had something to do with the murder here because the murderer would have had to procure that in order to enact that part of the plan. So I get that now. I get that now and I think it's a, uh, a very important point and I think it'll come up again in the uh, next chapter or two. Um, I do have a question. Uh, Mystique was shown, right? Mystique was shown hiding in the bushes, which, I mean, that's, that's funny in and of itself. But what would be the point of showing Mystique there if there wasn't going to be any sort of Mystique thing happening? Part of me wonders if Mystique might have planned this to see if the Five would bring Wanda back despite being told not to by the Quiet Council. Is there a way around a Quiet Council ruling, basically? So we know Mystique wants someone back. And we know the Quiet Council said no. But could she go around them? Could she make an appeal to the Five? Could the Five decide, okay, we'll do this for you? We've already seen that Hope and the gang are doing things that are uh, outside of their, you know, I guess legal parameters insofar as what the Quiet Council tells them to do. Here, they brought back the Scarlet Witch, if that's in fact what they did. Uh, we can flip over to the New Mutants, where they brought back Gabby. They brought back a Scout, despite the fact that we have the no-dupe rule, we have the no-clone rule. But they decided, uh, you know, among themselves that Gabby should come back. And that was something that the Quiet Council were, were not aware of. I definitely feel like there's something there, because otherwise, why would you show Mystique? So maybe that's a little bit of misdirection, or maybe it's just a case of a, you know, Chekhov's shapeshifter, <laughs> where, you know, we see her, something's going to happen. Uh, what else? What else? Um, I talked a little bit about this in the synopsis. The uh, the hugs between the X-Men and the Avengers. And uh, like I said during the synopsis, fake hugs are a thing, right? Fake hugs, superficial hugs are like a way of, um, I don't know, showing that you care about someone when you may not. Um, it could be a very passive-aggressive thing. But the way the Avengers and the X-Men have butted heads over the past several years here, I'm fine with them hugging. But I, I think I'd like them to begrudgingly hug, not just be like, oh, Janet, how I've missed you. It's like, the hell? I don't know. I just I just don't see it. Maybe it's due to the fact that I'm like a social misfit and I really don't have too many in-real-life friends. So maybe maybe that's it. I don't know. 
Uh, one last point here, uh, because I don't want to go too deep on everything here, because I think uh, this is going to be a fun one to discover as we go along, but the beginning with Hope was really annoying. Like, I totally see what they're going for there, you know, talking about the the ethics of telepathy and uh, how telepathy can be used for one's own gain, I suppose. But, uh, I don't know, it seems like a weird line to draw in the sand right now. You know, especially with the stakes being what they are. And, I mean, Hope is someone who literally plays God every single day. So, I mean, in as far as uh, abuse of power, I mean, this is small potatoes compared to anything that uh, she and the Five do. But I think most of all, it just annoyed me because it just felt like a petulant teenager trying to be a petulant teenager. With only a surface-level understanding of what it is they're actually talking about, wherein... You know, there are parallels, but rather than just seeing that there are parallels, they see it as a one-to-one correlation. It's very black and white, and teenagers can be very black and white when they think they're making a point. Now, that would be all well and good if I thought for a second that that's what the story was going for, Hope being, you know, kind of just spouting off the mouth. But no, I'm pretty sure this was earnest. I think this was supposed to actually be taking Professor X to task, which didn't quite land for me. But for now, I think that's all I have to say about the issue. I'm still digging this series. I'm looking forward to more, and uh, I hope you are as well. I'd love to hear you guys' thoughts on the twists and turns that we're seeing here. I'd love to hear your theories, and we can discuss this further as we go along. But with that out of the way, let's hop into the mailbag here. We got a letter from Evan talking about Kota 5, Children of the Atom number 5. Now, he says, It's hard to get a read on this series, and I think it's very much due to the issues you cited with its shifting release date. The goal seems to have been to put real-world avatars for X-Fans in the X-Men's world. Although some of the beats are repetitive, Ayala does a good job of helping you feel what the characters feel. I got an appreciation for JJ as more than just the kid's sidekick. But the mysteries seem to build up and then get anticlimactically confirmed. I thought the one thing we could count on is that they weren't mutants. I was sure Carmen had been infected by the brood. But it turns out, nope, one's a mutant and the gateway scene you pitched would have been great. Yeah, this was a, definitely a case of O'Comics Razor, wasn't it? Where we got one of them that's a mutant, and uh, I really thought, you know, because we saw in that issue they had uh, commandeered that spaceship for some reason, somehow, <laughs> and they were in space, and I really thought that we were going to have a brood story coming out of this. And um, not that I'm a huge fan of the brood in, in you know any shape or form, but... I think that would have been more interesting than what we actually got. You know, what we got was the simplest answer. And also, the pacing is totally a problem here. I, I don't know if this was due to the uh, the book being pushed off a year and a half. Maybe they already paid for the story and they had to run something. I really don't know. It just didn't feel like a story that needed to be told. And, I mean, that's saying something with this bloated line as it is. And of course, that's not to say that it was bad. It was just unsatisfying, unnecessary, and uh, I don't have a whole lot of confidence that many of these things will ever be addressed again. Now, usually I would end the sentence like that with something like, I hope I'm wrong, but uh, I kind of hope I'm not. Uh, Evan continues, Maybe the point wasn't the mystery, but the character exploration. That worked to an extent, but I, cu- but I could use some more story? Exposition? Maggot? Yes, definitely more Maggot. He was, was he protectively and affectionately embracing Magma when the power dampeners came out? Would their com- couple name be 
Magot, M-A-G-O-T, or Magigama, M-A-G-G-M-A. Oh dear, I've gotten off track. I still want to know more about what their device, where their devices came from, and I don't know what Carmen's powers actually are. And where are the headmen? You've read issue six already, but I'm still waiting for Marvel Unlimited. And I think you're right on the money here. This was supposed to be a character study on these characters. Each one got their own issue to narrate and kind of be the POV character. It still didn't work, though. I mean, it's I can definitely see what they were going for, of course, but it just didn't it didn't land for me. I feel like it was uh, it was it was one of those cases where it was like a, uh, a a walking contradiction. It was both decompressed and rushed, which is a weird <laughs> balance to find. But this book somehow did. Uh, by now, you know what Carmen's powers are. Uh, they've mentioned it. I think once during the Hellfire Gala bit and during Coda 6, where we find out that she is a shapeshifter. And uh, the headman, your guess is as good as mine. And I tell you, I can't wait to get to your thoughts on issue 6 when you get around to reading it because, I mean, the story just starts pelting us like, like frozen rain there. It's like so much stuff comes down and so many things are built but then just are solved in like the very next page. It's very much a deck-clearing sort of issue, and uh, it really doesn't leave me with a whole lot of optimism that any of this will be uh, you know, explored further than it was in these uh, six issues. But thanks so much for writing in and sharing your thoughts with us on that penultimate issue of Children of the Atom. And while I'm on the thank you train here, let's hop over to our shout-out section where I thank the folks who engaged with the social media posts that shared this little show. Over on Twitter, I want to thank Jeremiah, Billy D, Ed Moore, Chris Bailey, Joe Crawford, Dave Schultz, Mark Jagger, Pat Sampson, and Jason Colby. Over on Facebook, I want to thank Jeremiah, Jesse D. Young, Pat Sampson, Walt Nealon, Billy D, and Corbin Owens. Thank you all so much for helping to raise the profile of this little program. I'd also like to thank the patrons over at patreon.com slash xlapsed for all their support. Andrew Franklin, Ed Moore, Walt Nealon, Jeremiah, Jason Colby, The Scary Stuff Podcast, Jesse D. Young, Damian, Peter McPherson, and Mark Jagger. Thank you all so much for your support and for believing in me. It really does make me feel so much less alone in these uh, this wide ocean of uh, comic book podcasts. Uh, now, before we get out of here, we do have a little bit of tangential news, I suppose. Um, some details of Chris Claremont's X-Men Legends arc have been released. And I wasn't sure what to make of it at first. It was We were told it was classic Excalibur, which, I mean, could be many different things here. It could be more cross-time, it could be TechNet, it could be a lot of different things. But it actually looks like it's going to be sort of kind of bridging the gap between the fall of the mutants and the formation of Excalibur, which, that's pretty interesting. I like that a lot. I do just hope that this is a case of Claremont revisiting some of his old notebooks rather than coming up with something new. But in any event, we will be there for it. I don't know that we'll cover it on the show, but uh, hey, maybe when uh, in like five years when the essential X-Lapsed gets there, we'll, uh, <laughs> we'll take a look at it. Who knows? Who knows? Anyway, with all that said, I think we are done for today. If anybody out there would like to get a hold of me, you could do so several different ways. You could find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You could shoot me an email to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com, or you can call into the X-Lapsed voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. For blog posts and show notes, you can head over to chrisisoninfiniteearths.com. You can join us on Facebook. Our little group is 90s X-Men. For the complete audio archives, you can head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. That's available anywhere you find noise and sound on the internet. 
And hey, you know, it's been a while since I asked. If uh, you like what you hear there, or at least appreciate the effort that goes into it every single day, I would love for you to spread the word. Maybe uh, tell a friend or two in hopes that they tell a friend or two, and so on and so forth. It would really, really mean a lot to me. Speaking of which, last but not least, we have the Patreon. That is patreon.com slash xlapsed. A whole lot of exclusive content and behind-the-scenes stuff over there. And of course, if there's stuff that you want to see over there, please let me know. I'm all ears and I am at your service. But that's going to do it for today. I'd like to thank you all so much for hanging out with little old me. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.